Welcome to the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. We're dispensing stories of success from across the continuum of care. I'm your host, Hillary Blackburn. Thanks for joining us to learn from leaders throughout the pharmacy industry. Happy third anniversary to the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. We've been bringing you pharmacy leaders and stories of success for three years. And we're so excited that you've chosen to spend your time listening and growing with us. We also have some exciting news in that we will be sharing a book called How Pharmacists Lead. Go check it out on Amazon for a pre-sale. And we are going to be sharing some of these women in pharmacy who have been leaders and their stories to inspire you. And now with August being National Immunization Month, we're connecting with immunization expert, Dr. Stephen Foster. Okay, so today we have a special guest on the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. Our guest is Dr. Stephen Foster, who is a nationally recognized leader in the field of immunization. Dr. Foster has been the liaison representative on the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices, ACIP, of the Center for Disease Control and Prevention for the American Pharmacist Association since 2001. Additionally, he is on the Immunization Advisory Panel and is a national faculty uh, with APHA's Pharmacy-Based Immunization Delivery Certificate Program. Dr. Foster retired in 2016 from the University of Tennessee College of Pharmacy, where he has maintained an affiliate appointment, and he continues in his role as a consultant on vaccines and vaccine issues. Uh, He retired in, in 1998 from the United States Public Health Service, Indian Health Service, after a 20 year career and was trained and certified as a pharmacist practitioner during this time, which allowed him to perform direct patient care. He was licensed in the state of New Mexico as a pharmacist clinician. Uh, Dr. Foster, welcome to the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Well, thank you for joining us. And now that our listeners have heard a little bit about your background, maybe you can fill in any gaps from that intro or share a little bit about your personal life. Well, now that I have two careers under my belt, I'm actually uh, retired back on the, on the farm, you could say. No, one never really retires, but at least I'm, I'm uh, semi-retired out, of the, out on a farm in Atoka, Tennessee. So enjoying, enjoying the life. My uh, my big advice to people that's going through this COVID isolation is that uh, this is a good practice for retirement. <laughs> uh, well, sounds sounds good. Enjoy some of the relax relaxing that comes with that with a slower pace. Um, so, Stephen, first, you know, maybe we could share. I don't think I've had the chance to interview anyone. Uh, about the public health service. And um, I actually was exposed to that as a student because um, I interned at HRSA, Health Resources and Services Administration, and worked with several pharmacists and others who were serving in the United States Public Health Service. Could you tell us a little bit more about what that is and um, how pharmacists can be involved in in that as a career path. 
Well, Hillary, that's exactly how I got into it also. I was actually did a student rotation at an Indian hospital in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and uh, decided at that point that that, uh, that was the career path I wanted to take. I had actually, uh, though I went back, back in those days, it wasn't any all-PharmD type of program. So I actually went back from uh, after I got my BS and, and got my PharmD and then, uh, and then applied to get back into the to public health service. And, and uh, I spent my entire career with the Indian Health Service. Public health service consists of, of multiple branches, uh, FDA, uh, the, the CDC, HRSA, National Institutes of Health, they run the medical department for the Bureau of Prisons, Federal Bureau of Prisons, medical uh, group for the Coast Guard. So they're involved in many, many different aspects of of, uh, of public health. And it's uh, it was a wonderful career. I, I, I tell you what, I would highly advise anybody that is interested in, in, uh, in a little bit of adventure, the public health service would be the way to go. Absolutely. And, and anybody with, with an inkling towards public health, um, great way, great benefits, um, and things working with for the government, of course. And, um, you do, uh, wear the uniform. So, and have all of the different credentials that the military have, you know, with getting promoted to captain and commander and, and all of those titles and things. And even after you retired, you have uh, again Tricare for for your health care. You have uh, privileges to shop on the base at the commissaries or the exchanges. Uh, so there's there is a lot of advantages to it. Plus, you get a retirement that starts after twenty years, and uh, and they start the retirement as soon as you you get out. So you you're paid a retirement from the beginning, and uh, while you're still young enough to keep working at another job. So there's a, there's a lot of advantages to it. Certainly. Well, so. So after your 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 first retirement, I guess from the the public health service, uh, you really have become an expert, a national expert in immunization. Tell us a little bit more about that, because um, you know pharmacists. I guess you can give us a little history on this. When was it really that pharmacists? started giving immunizations and really, um, you know, I mean, I know when I was in school, we did the APHA pharmacy-based immunization uh, certificate program. It was definitely a thing. So maybe you could give us a little history on um, what the pharmacist's role has been first. Well, certainly. Um, I will tell you that, that in the public health service back when when I first started in the 70s, I mean, we were giving giving uh, injections at the time. So it was not a, a big deal for, for those of us that, that came up that way. But the um, the American Pharmacists Association developed their first course in about 1996, along with the University of Mississippi and Mississippi State Board of Pharmacy and the state association there. Uh, and they developed a, a course to train pharmacists that would actually fill in for um, areas in Mississippi where they had a lack of providers there to, to give immunizations. Um, they did the first course there. Um, some of the people you might know that were involved in it, Michael Hogue, who's now the president of APHA, uh, John Grabenstein, um, Elizabeth Keyes. These are people that were were uh, big into vaccines and, and back in, in those days. The, the first course, believe it or not, the first course was a three-day course. And so uh, they put that on with great success. And about the time that I retired in 1998 from uh, Indian Health Service, and I was recruited to go to the University of Tennessee. And that was the time when the American Pharmacists Association had decided that 
this is uh, a good deal. The Health and Human Services uh, uh, Secretary, Donna Shalala, at that time had asked, can we get pharmacists involved in giving vaccines? So, a course this course was developed, but it was kind of fine-tuned at that point. And I, I didn't get involved into it, like I said, till about 98, 99 after I'd retired. But the way I really got into it is I just volunteered. Um, I told APHA that I have a background in vaccines. This is a great area, and how can I help? Um, and so uh, they easily accepted any volunteer at that point. And so I ended up uh, helping them develop and, and maintain the course. The biggest thing about the, the APHA course is that it's maintained. It's not something that when you get the material, it's current. It's changed like three times a year. So it is kept up, and that's that's an important aspect of it. Now, now, about the year 2001, it was starting to be recognized that pharmacists were giving vaccines. Uh, now that the trainings were going on, it was it was started uh, first with with some retail stores. It was also started in in, in uh, universities. Uh, the training programs were, and so um, APHA approached the CDC and asked them, "Can we put a liaison member on the uh, ACIP, the Advisory Committee for Immunization Practices?" And so. Uh, when they got the permission to do it, I was approached to to do it, and and there's the history behind it. I've been on actually I've been on AP, ACIP as a liaison there since uh, 2001. So interesting. So I'm a, a University of Mississippi graduate, and they may have told that background, but I do not did not remember. <laughs> So that's interesting. Um, of, of course, Mississippi and, and even areas where, you know, in Tennessee, uh, there are certainly areas where um, there are lots of rural communities and a need for, um, you know, more patient care. And, and pharmacists, of course, are great providers of that and very accessible. So um, neat to hear more about the background from that. And uh, another thing that you mentioned that uh, I um, I can relate to is the the volunteer. So um, I love you know hearing those types of stories and um, for students and and or those already out in the workforce um, that those are great ways to get involved in something that you're you're interested in. So with Dispensary of Hope, where I am, um, I volunteered there and helped to, to contribute to the formulary um, while I was still working full time. And um, when a position opened up with them, was able to step in and, and, and fill in that role and build that out. So very interesting how, how volunteer opportunities can lead to a niche. Uh, and so there well, and you, absolutely, there you know, you with almost everything we've done in, in the past, you don't you don't want to do something and just say, "All right, uh, I'll do this if you pay me." Um, mm-hmm. You've got to get in there and prove your value, prove your worth before you you can see that the the money will follow it. So it's got to be set up and established. It, we didn't get paid at the very beginning for giving uh, immunizations. It was, uh, but it was later on that we are are was added to the Medicare payment system to do that, with, particularly Medicare Part D when that part came about. So um, it took a while. Um, but it, it, again, it started with people who were said, Hey, this is cool. I'm going to do it. Hmm. Interesting. Well, um, and it, it, of course it's a very timely time to be talking about immunizations with August being immunization month. So I'm glad we're having this conversation, uh, and can share that. 
So um, maybe for our listeners, uh, could you tell a little bit more about the background of uh, what is the CDC's ACIP and, and what kind of um, responsibilities did you have as, a, as an advisor on, on committee? Speaking of education, are you aware of the 2014 Drug Disposal of Controlled Substances ruling that regards safe disposal of unused medications? Well, we're lucky to have RX Destroyer sponsoring the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. RX Destroyer ready-to-use chemical drug disposal systems are safe, easy, and affordable products, which protect the environment and can save thousands in fines. To get more information on products, training, and medication waste, compliance, check out www.rxdestroyer.com slash talk to your pharmacist. The uh, ACIP is, uh, is composed really of three types of members. One is the voting members, and that is a group of 15 uh, individuals who have no conflicts of interest in any matter that um, are make the, the, they get to vote on any decisions that is made through the ACIP. Um, they're on a, about a four-year rotation. Uh, they are appointed to the committee. People uh, actually apply to be on it, and then it's the CDC gets to appoint them to it. Um, and then the the next group is the ex officio members, and these are there's about eight or ten of them. I can't. By the way, these numbers a number of people change all the time, but they are the people like the Department of Defense, the Indian Health Service, the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Um, all the government organizations that are the FDA, all that are involved in vaccines at all, they have a representative on that. And then the last group, is, which is the part I'm on, are the liaison members. And most of the medical organizations that actually have a role in immunizations, and that includes nursing organizations and physician organizations, have a representative on this committee. So you, you can start off with American Medical Association, uh, American Nurses Association, American Pharmacists Association. And then there are things like National Foundations of Infectious Disease and other, other types of organizations like that that actually have uh, members that are on there. And our, our role is really um, a couplefold. Number one, we are usually on the committee a lot longer than the rotating members. So we've got the institutional memory to, uh, to say what's happened in the past and what we've been through in the past. But the main thing is for us to advise the people um, whether, um, whether the issues that they're discussing with how how we can be involved or how we can uh, we can help them. I'll give you a prime example. Back when uh, 2009, when the flu uh, pandemic came through, the H1N1 uh, pandemic, pharmacists were not able to get vaccines until about January or, or February. It was very difficult for us. We were not in the first priority to get it, and it was really a big mistake. Um, and the the once the January February time period came around. Most of the people who um, had made the most of the people that weren't vaccinated at that time were the same people that said, "I don't want to get vaccinated." So everybody else that had wanted had pretty well been doing it, and they had a lot of problems with the distribution of vaccine at that time. So in this particular situation with the the uh, COVID uh, pandemic, then um, I I reminded them that hey, pharmacy needs to be involved early on in the distribution of this vaccine and what type of roles we can we can play during that. Awesome. Yeah, um so man, that is really helpful to hear um about kind of some of the structure and things and uh, yeah, and vaccines are are certainly uh top of mind for 
probably everyone right now as uh, with with the coronavirus and uh, Operation Warp Speed. Uh, lots of lots of pharmaceutical companies have all decided to kind of pitch in and um, are are seeking to get a vaccine. So it's great to hear that, you know, you're advocating for the pharmacist role in that. Um, do you have any thoughts or anything on kind of what the the vaccine uh, pipeline looks like, or um, just could speak a little bit more um, on thoughts about the COVID vaccine? Um well, as you can imagine, the entire pipeline is interested in COVID right now. While there's other research going on, the way that they're approaching the COVID vaccines is that some of these different approaches, the different methods of vaccinating people or developing vaccines, including methods that have never been tried in, in humans before, are now being tested. Uh, different delivery systems, are not, they're still injections, but I'm talking about different uh uh, taking the, the antigen from the COVID spike protein and, and attaching it to a, for example, another virus to get it to uh, take that protein, a benign virus, and, and deliver it to, um, to the uh, immune system. So there, there are new ways that they're looking at. So every, every company that's basically been, been experimenting with different ways have kind of changed their direction towards COVID. We don't hear or haven't heard over a while uh, about other vaccines in the pipeline, though we know there's there's a, a lot of vaccines in the pipeline. Um, there's new uh, pneumococcal conjugate vaccines coming soon. There's there's uh, the Clostridium vaccine coming soon. There's there's quite a few, but I think everything right now is just concentrated on on the COVID process. We've actually been meeting uh, virtually about once a month now uh, just to talk about. And again, you mentioned Operation Warp Speed, and and, and basically what this is this is a a, um, a group of of uh, manufacturers, government organizations, et cetera, that are doing everything to make this happen as quickly and as safely as possible. And so they're doing things that uh, to be prepared. For example, they're already developing manufacturing processes even before the, the vaccines are available. So um, normally this would be a 10-year a process, and they're trying to do it in a couple of years. So it's, it's amazing what, what they're going through with that. So we're actually discussing things in ACIP about priorities, who would get the vaccine first, um, and and issues like that. So trying to get everything ready so when the vaccine is there, everything is just ready to go. Yeah, man, lots to plan and, and think about. So, um, Stephen, do you have any advice for pharmacists? Uh, you know, we're getting ready for flu season, which comes around every year, and now we've got uh, COVID on top of that. Um, what are, what's some advice that you would give for pharmacists, uh, that are, you know, going to be giving, uh, vaccines and, and trying to prepare to, to play a big role in this? That's a great question. And, and I do have some definite advice on this. And let me back up and say one more thing about other vaccines too, is that right now patients are not getting their routine vaccinations everywhere from pediatric up to adults. People aren't getting their shingles vaccine. They're not getting their pneumococcal vaccine because they just don't want to go out. Um, and so it's become a, a, a situation where we're actually, um, we're going to lose herd immunity in, in certain things, measles, for example, in the children if we don't get them vaccinated. So one of the things is really to push patients to stay up to date with their vaccine and particularly the children. On top of that, if we have a influenza season, um, that is a um, 
bad season on top of the the COVID situation, then we got the potential to not only not only overwhelm the hospital systems, but uh, the patients have the potential for getting really really ill from having both of them at the same time. So our number one thing right now, until we have a COVID vaccine, is to make sure that we are actually highly involved and active in getting people immunized against the flu. Um, it's really kind of interesting if you you may or may not have heard, but there's an awful lot of of uh, anti-vaccine rumors flying right now. For example, when you get the vaccine, they're going to inject a chip along with it so they can monitor you, and and they're going to make it mandatory for getting a vaccine. I mean, none of this type of stuff is, is being discussed at all. Um, it's it's just the rumors that are flying. So right now they've said that 50% of the people have already mentioned in one study that they're not going to get the COVID vaccine. Well, at least if we can push them to get the flu vaccine, we can semi-protect that particular group. The other thing that, that is along with the same idea is that the um, we have to be really um, aware that we're, the way we give vaccines has got to be different. We've got to be isolated. We've got to have a protective equipment. We've got to be able to uh, get close to a patient and be safe. Um, and the only way that we can do that is planning right now. You've got to start planning to have the right equipment there. You've got to plan on how you're going to do it. Maybe it's you're going to set in a section uh, of your, your facility aside. Maybe you're going to set a tent up in the parking lot. Whatever it happens to be, you need to start planning that right now. Um, there's going to be extra flu vaccine available this year. They, they've increased the amount of vaccine they're making by approximately uh, you know, eight to ten percent. So the the CDC has asked the manufacturers to make more uh, to meet the demand. Well, we got to get it into their into their system, and the only way we're going to do that is to really push our patients to get vaccinated. And that means things that pharmacists aren't really um, good about doing, and that is 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 selling the vaccine to your patient, every patient that walks in the door. We need to be really proactive and say, "Hey, have you had your flu shot yet? Uh, let's get it now." because uh, the COVID is still still around and we don't have a vaccine for it yet. So planning, by the and also for this planning, the CDC has actually got some uh, good information on their website. And, and those of you uh, with APHA, uh, APHA is actually doing quite a few publications also to keep how you should give vaccines, what you should uh, be getting ready for. But right now is the time to make your plans to sit down and determine how you're going to do things along with some guidance from maybe even connecting with your health department, local health department, say, Hey, how can we work together on this type of thing? But it is the planning part that needs to happen right now. Wow, man, lots of good uh, tips and very timely. Um, so Stephen, uh, gosh, we've learned a lot about vaccines, the history, how pharmacists are, are involved and and certainly uh, what's relevant for right now. Um, as our final question, I love to ask our guests, what is some advice that you would tell your younger self or for other pharmacists out there who are just getting started in their career? At, at this point, I would tell any younger pharmacist or, or even myself, you need to get involved in direct patient care. Uh, my feeling is that the dispensing part of pharmacy is going to be mostly gone in the future. They're not going to need people to 
to do that when you notice that that Amazon now has a license in every state. The dispensing portion, we've got machines that are doing it. They're talking about using um, um, dispensing machines in hospitals. Uh, the dispensing part of pharmacy practice, I think, will go away. What we need to do is we need to have pharmacists who are actually taking care of patients. And the only way that you can do that is to approach every patient that you see, no matter what setting you're in, and get the patients right now to understand that, that a pharmacist is not just a dispenser. A pharmacist is a healthcare professional who can take care of them. Right now, there's an awful lot of patients that do not know that because they have not been actually under the direct care of a pharmacist. Um, so that would be the one advice I would tell you. And that, you know, along with the, the fact that we we did this 30 years, 40 years ago, maybe close to 50 now, uh, with the, the pharmacist practitioner program we had in the Indian Health Service. Um, and I'd hoped that that would expand from them, but it really did not. And uh, like I said, if you don't start developing some patient care programs in your pharmacy, you will be hurting because it's going to be the pharmacists that are actually taking care of patients, I think, that will survive. And vaccines are a great way to do it, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, great. Yeah, definitely making sure that you've got immunization programs at your pharmacy, MTM, any other types of programs. And I think that that a lot of the associations, whether it be nationally, APHA, others, um, or the state level, um, are really focused on trying to um, help help pharmacists uh, with billing and, and setting up these types of programs. So um, if you are a pharmacist out there and are interested in that, I, I know I can speak um, here in Tennessee, we've got a couple of different educational ways to do that. And I'm sure many other states across the country are as well. So um, Stephen, it was such a, a pleasure to have you as a guest on the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. Thanks so much for all the great um, advice that you were able to share with our listeners. Oh, the pleasure was all mine. I, I've enjoyed talking with you. Our new book on women in leadership will be launching soon. Head over to Amazon and search for How Pharmacists Lead to sign up to be in the first to get access to our new book on women in pharmacy leadership. Thanks again for listening to this episode. We are going to be relaunching our newsletter, so be sure that you're signed up over at pharmacyadvisory.com. There's a place to sign up for the newsletter, and we're going to be sharing some good content there. And if you liked this episode, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps us to get in front of more pharmacists and others interested in the pharmacy industry. We really appreciate your support in sharing this content. Thanks for listening to this episode of Talk to Your Pharmacist, produced by the Pharmacy Advisory Group. If you liked this episode, let us know by subscribing to the podcast, rating, and reviewing it. Share it with friends. And if you want to be a guest or know a pharmacist leader who has a great story to tell, connect with me, Hillary Blackburn, on LinkedIn and check out our Facebook page, Pharmacy Advisory Group, for updates on new podcasts. Thanks for listening.